Hello everyone, welcome back to Left Page. I am Frank, your always online historian, writer, researcher, extraordinaire. So, hello, welcome to 2022 in the Left Page. It's, it's good to be back. It's It's been a little while. Not really, I've been producing content <laughs> all the while, uh, which has been good and uh, I'm happy with. And today, for this first episode this year, I'm going to do something a little bit different. I've been saying that for a little while now, but you know, it's uh, it's my show, I do what I want. And uh, I was going to do another episode for January, actually. But the more I thought about it, the more I wanted it to be like the February episode when we turn three years as a show, which is really, really cool. And I'm really excited and looking forward to. And I have something else planned, but that's but yeah, I'm going to record that other episode probably tomorrow or this weekend. Um, you don't know when this is being recorded, so that doesn't mean much. But suffice it to say, this is, these are being recorded, the January and February episodes, really close together. And it's really going to be helpful and positive for my planning because... Well, I'll get into it and why I'm making this episode in particular and what's it about. But in a minute and that's why it's all going to tie together and the fact that I want to get January mostly planned and out of the way as soon as I possibly can. Anyway, let's uh, let's get into it, I suppose. So yeah, you have February to look forward to as our three-year anniversary and a few, a few special treats and kind of things, but we'll get to it when we get to it. So for January, what I want to talk about is, as the title suggests, They'll not come up with it. Uh, it'll happen. It's going to be fine. I want to talk a bit about literary theory, history, and working them together. So first things first, let me let me get back to the whole thing of what I'm doing and how, why I'm doing what I'm doing and why this episode is a thing. So I'm researching science fiction, Ursula K. Le Guin's The Dispossessed, and I'm a historian. And my, my peers, my colleagues, my research group, companions are also historians working with literature pretty much the thing is we the way we're doing it and the way we do it is with a very particular angle as in well we're historians and that demands a very particular care when we're engaging with literary literature because we're not literary theorists we do not have this sort of uh, umdelet or linguistics or languages bachelor it's not part of our a learning process immediately. It's something that we're going after now as we've either graduated or are in our, our grad programs or are out of our own account trying to learn more of this and fill in a couple of gaps. So with all that in mind, I am I'm doing my master's, as I've mentioned a couple of times before. And the subject that I... And I've spoken about this on Twitter a couple of times and several annoyances with it, be it with the particularities of the class itself, which I won't go into it much here, and also some of the theoretical aspects, which I will mention a bit, but I'm going to go via a different angle and it'll all make sense in a second. So the class is about theories on the novel. I'm, I'm talking about a novel, so... It makes sense to learn some of these theories. And we go through a wide variety of 20th century theorists and, and ideas, works. Majorly, we went through, like, Ian Watt. We went through through Lukács. We went a bit through Bakhtin. 
who else? A tiny bit about Franco Moretti. There's, there's quite a bit of people, but I'm drawing a blind. We talked a bit about Adorno and Benjamin. We, we talked about Northrop Fry. So, so there was there were a lot of different theories with a lot of different works. So something that became quite distinct, be it in terms of the classes, but theories itself when working with them is that like, well, okay, these are all focused on a very specific idea of modernism and realism and that's the object and their focus and what founds uh, or serves as a foundation for their theories and reflections and understandings and interpretations of what they understand to be the novel or what can be the novel. And I'll get into that shortly. Now, 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 and, th and this is one of the reasons why it's important to me and I think to the left page as a thing. We talked about academia before and gatekeeping and like, and this is where this is going to come relevant again, unfortunately. <sighs> a lot of these things ignore a great deal, or very concretely speaking, what the majority of literature has been. The majority of literature has never been modernism or the realist novel or literary fiction and high literature, whatever the fuck you want to call it. It's always been a lot of different things, and especially what has been defined as genre literature. And we can understand that like romance and uh, horror and the gothic and science fiction and so on and so and detective stories and so on and so on and so on. Now, what that does and what, the way we engage and understand those theories and even teach them from a certain degree is telling how we understand this and understand this as gatekeeping when we work with them today. That may not have been a concern for these theories at the time, but when we bring these out today, we read them, we understand them, we interpret them, or we, in a sense, utilize them and engage with them for our own research and our own works, that becomes important because, okay, this is useful for this, this, and this, but it's also ignoring a great deal of things, and how do we make these connections? Do we, well, I'm speaking of this from a very... Uh, optimistic approach that you're going to take these into consideration as I, I would and am in a sense and not going to ignore these flagrant gaps no matter how acceptable or not they might be for a certain ask for a certain position in academia and an acceptable stance but that you're actually critically engaging with them and it's like well this may be saying that but this is not acceptable you might be saying, it's like, oh, I understand why someone is going to work with this high literature text in order to interpret it rather than a dime novel. That's not an automatic conclusion that, that, <laughs> that stems from a particular place of power and this position. It's like, oh, this is the acceptable literature. This is the, the one that confers prestige. This is the one that is worth studying. And the way you interpret the, a dime novel or not or a literary uh, novel, so to speak, well, <laughs> it varies quite a bit. Anyway, so th the reason I'm engaging all of this, and I will get to this irritation and all that right away. Now I'm going to get into the details of it and how I'm engaging with it, and not all in a negative, critical, critically negative sense. I think there's something we can do with it from a more positive sense, uh, creating something. But 
It's because the final paper for this class is to engage with our own, is to analyze our own work and engage as best we can these other theories that we've read and, and come into contact with. So, so I've had to do this work and I'm having to do this work by the time of the recording. Most of the way through, but it's being really difficult and really annoying because it's hard to do and I'm not familiar with this type of work. Be this being a class from the literary theory department and uh, it brings out a lot of other insecurities of like, okay, am I doing this sensibly? Is it acceptable what I'm doing or am I just winging it as a go? I know I'm not winging it. It's it's the insecurity in knocking again, but it's it's still it's a hard position to be in because there's this sense of isolation, and especially as a historian in a, a for, foreign department, so to speak, uh, to be very dramatic about it, that creeps in quite a lot more. But I'm managing to get it done, and this episode stems from that work as well. Because, first things first, there's the really, really big and really valid irritation and annoyance and anger and frustration at having your work and what you're doing be ignored, be put aside. And, well, I work with sci-fi, so that's, that's pretty damn present. And some of the things from a few associated lecturers, or guest lecturers, rather, that spoke in a few classes and whatnot, talking quite a lot of nonsense especially when we get into that idea of like the death of the novel or the crisis of the novel. And well, that's bullshit. <laughs> because of course, if you call the novel something really specific and that fits only these categories you're working on, well, to say that it's died is uh, really flipping easy, isn't it? People aren't doing that specific thing again. And maybe they shouldn't be. I don't care at any rate. It doesn't matter. That's not important. It's... it's it's like that, that particular type of judgment does nothing for no one. It only serves gatekeeping in academia. It's like, oh, you're not doing this thing. It's that kind of thing. Oh, back in my day or back in those days, this is what was done. And it's like, if... And well, that's not the case. It was spoken about quite a few times. And especially in one of the writer's desks, like, I don't read much literary fiction because it, uh, it's annoying. It, it's, it's a very specific kind of thing. And I was like, yeah, I get it. I'd rather read something else, something more fantastic or something weirder or more sci-fi, whatever. It doesn't pique my interest all of the time. But in one of the Romance of the Gothic book club reads, we read Silence is a Sense by Leila Alamar. And that was literary fiction and of the highest caliber, if I'm happy to say so. So, you know, people are writing very good literary fiction nowadays in a variety of languages, and I'm sure in Portuguese as well. But it's not something that piques my interest a lot of the time. It's like, it's fine. It can be good, it can be not, but it's not something that I'm going to pick up randomly like something else I'd, that I may be more inclined to. Uh, it's something that will usually come from recommendation or whatever. Anyway, my point, my point. When you go into that sort of uh, discourse or argument, it's like, oh... This is not being done anymore. Look at this dipping quality. People don't read anymore. Uh, you know, that, that sort of shit nonsense. <laughs> you're doing, well, you're doing that gatekeeping or ignoring that thing. And like, frankly, you're doing a sort of particular judgment value. Or, yes, I think that's how you translate it in English. 
Uh, my brain's in a lot of places nowadays, but I won't get into that now. What you're doing with that judgment is you're disregarding the objects in and of themselves. And what happens then is that you're missing out on what effectively is being done. You're not engaging with the objects out of their own singularity or their own text or their own quality. And that doesn't always need necessarily is going to be great, but it doesn't take away from the fact that it is an interesting object or something important to look at. And I'm like, oh, the novel, this particular format is dead or is dying and blah, blah, blah. One, it, it really isn't. And two, even if it was or it was dead, it's like, okay, what does that tell us? I think the historian in me springs to mind more than anything else. It's like, okay, let's, let's look at what's happening and what's going on and why this movement is taking place. And, you know, like a good historian will tell you, these things rarely ever die. <laughs> they, they, they are not necessarily like the peak prestige or like something else changes or, you know, given like a, a lot of the times like market decisions and like, oh, this has become more acceptable or more commercial or it's like, oh, the publishing market and, you know, a, lo a lot of things that vary to make something more or less popular. And if you want to talk about popularity, it's it's a whole other historical discussion to be made about those texts. But that goes way, way beyond literary theory and the texts themselves. Um, just because these are classics of literature accepted by academia doesn't necessarily mean that they weren't, well, popular. That And, and this, that popular sense is, and add so many inverted commas, as many as you can to that, is a relative sense, like, okay, what type of market we're talking about, or what type of reading public are we talking about? How many people are reading? Who is reading? Uh, what's the public? What's the audience? You know, that's that's a lot of work. And I think, especially in that type of discussion, it, it's very much a, oh, but this this is no longer being written, or this is no longer being read. Yeah, who cares? Doesn't matter. <laughs> It really doesn't matter, and that that doesn't help the sort of lamentation for this particular thing, which is, well, a product of its time, along with having its own singularities, of course, but it's, it's not going to be the same, and it can't be because things change, and things have been changing. So it's like, yeah, of course some things are going to rise and fall or whatever. Anyway, that there goes my stance on the death of the novel as a nonsense concept but even if you want to take it seriously and push it it's like yeah it's still nothing to cry over even uh, even if it was a thing so you know and you know things carry on surviving blah 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 that kind of thing so first of all there is the irritation and the annoyance at this aspect of being put aside being like oh this is not important this is entertainment literature this is popular literature as a an immediate judgment which is awful and gatekeeping but to move further as i've really had to do uh in terms of this final paper what i've had to do is sort of turn these works in and of against themselves as in like okay this is the sort of the framework and this is the structure that you give me. Can I use this more further and wide? And how can I do so? And of course, that's really difficult to do because in a sense, yes, you're removing that from context, 
but perhaps those categories can allow us, in their own internal framework, to engage and interpret these other works, like a 1974 science fiction novel, in a positive sense that enlightens or increases the value or the, the analysis that we're engaging with. So, to, to take an example from something I'm doing in the, the paper itself, I'm looking into the fictional modes by Northrop Fry, which is a very specific type of a literary discussion, as he's talking about this move from what is the romance into the novel, and these are very specific literary history terms into what was like sort of this fable, these uh, chivalry tales, into what is more familiarly known as the novel, uh, into like this modernist, realist kind of thing, and, and this particular thing. And these fictional modes themselves are categories that he establishes in order to interpret these different things. And there is a movement into from this more fantastical mode into the this uh, it's called high mimetic, low mimetic, and finally the ironic mode. There are modes previous to that. These are the relevance as to what I'm talking about. And each of them describes this connection between the individual, the main character, uh, the protagonist, if you will, and the relationship with the environment, society, and that connection with it. Now, I don't want to get bogged down into this because I'm not a specialist for Fry, and I don't intend to have any sort of specialist knowledge. It's just a couple of things that we've read and talked about and that I'm trying to make operational for what I'm writing and this final paper that I need to do. So, 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 so. They, these talk about a very specific type of modernist realist literature. And we're talking about these three specific modes. You have, like, before them, the, these chivalric tales and these knights and these heroes and the fantastic. Uh, and then you have, like, this, uh, this high mimetic where you have this hero who is this leader superior to other men, but he is a common man, so to speak. But he is, like, this leader. He's superior. And this almost seems familiar to you know, sort of early 20th century sci-fi novels and stories where you have this heroic character who isn't like a, a, an ultimate, superior, fantastical, chivalric knight and things are suspended for, and these laws are suspended. But you have, I think, like a, a closer connection like Isaac Asimov's The Foundation, so to speak. So who knows? It is perhaps a, a closer sense. It's like, okay, it's like these leaders and how do you portray them? They're not perfect, but they're, they're higher men, so to speak, uh, in these internal terms. And in, in another sense, the low mimetic where you have like these people like us in the environment where they're not necessarily superior, but not inferior to their environment. And how do they connect and deal with it? And I feel like the dispossessed maybe fits into that scheme a bit more with Shevek and the like. And finally, the, the ironic mode where you have this subject who is inferior or powerless to their environment, where you have sort of the more observed like Kafka or Beckett. And I mean, it did spring to mind something like Jeff Vandermeer's Annihilation, where everything's a bit weird the whole time and the characters are like, uh, she's there, but not necessarily connecting, and everything's a bit strange and absurd, and this uh, powerlessness is, is present a whole lot of the time. So, 
what I'm trying to portray here with this very simple recollection of what I'm writing in this final paper is that perhaps these frameworks and these intellectual schema can be used to interpret and look at other histories inside the histories of the novel, briefly looking into some of the history of science fiction. Of course, there's a lot more to it than that, and there are other developments in science fiction in between the three works I've, I've mentioned. It's definitely something that I know about, but like I, I can't spend the whole time talking about it, and it's something that I need to know and read more about as well, of course. But it's something that helps illustrate a lot. It's like, okay, so if you look into these things in that way, then what does that tell us? Talking about the dispossessed, for example, if we think of Shevik as strictly like one of us, it's like, oh, he's not superior, but he's not inferior to his environment. He is connected with it. He's like a common human being with flaws and uh, virtues and vices. So I think that helps illustrate and that helps understand even more that sort of utopian spirit and that hope that exists in the dispossessed and in the novel, in the, the particular framework that I've been arguing about for a little while now and that I intend to argue with in the actual thesis. That it's this hopeful effort that's like, he doesn't need to be godly, he doesn't need to be divine, he doesn't need to be superior, he just needs to put in the effort and at times take a great deal of risks. But it is this effort, this dedication, this perseverance. And at times it's patient, it's quiet, it's subtle, but it's, it's an ongoing effort. And I feel like that helps us interpret the dispossessed in really interesting ways. And of course, the, the theories in themselves have their own aims, their own focuses. But at times they can be more flexible, or I think we could and should perhaps be more flexible with them and, okay, what does these frameworks allow us to interpret these other works in their own histories, in terms of, like, science fiction? But you could perhaps turn this into, like, the gothic or horror, and, you know, people do. And I'm doing that, and, and like, the, the more I talk about it, the more this seems familiar in other people that I know and follow and, and try to keep up with that work. And a lot of different lectures in Romancing the Gothic that pull in other different theories that's, like, yeah, this, this is problematic, this isn't necessarily the issue, but what does this allow us and what does this offer us? And in this case, it's like, yes, I'm pulling Fry quite away from what he was working on, but it's giving me something quite interesting to work with too, it's like, which maybe you wouldn't expect at first. It's like, oh, this only enhances what the dispossessor is already doing. And of course, given the proper proportions and uh, adjustments you need to make, you're not necessarily bending or distorting the theory itself, just for a specific aim. Because all in all, I think that is always an important care. And one of the things that has been hammered home in this class is that like, you don't apply a theory. And I've used this metaphor before. I think a theory harmonizes or not with the subject you're speaking and working with. And in this regard, it's not a simplest harmonization, but it, it connects. Yeah, I think it really can, and I think it really does. Especially for this particular argument I'm making. And, you know, who knows? Maybe you could trace uh, some of uh, Fry's fictional modes into these other various histories. Of course, and Fry makes this comment as well, there's no such thing as a pure form in any of them. They all connect, they all feed into one another, and that's part of his thesis. You don't have this 
fall over coming into the novel as it's understood these uh reminiscence of what was this romance as a as chivalric tales as fantastic tales as myths and the like this perseveres and remains inside or to the side too there's no pure mode and there's no pure modal example and i think this comes into play again it's like if there's never any pure mode then perhaps we can be more flexible with things and like okay given these other rules of realism even a science fiction story can work for this too or can work inside this particular intellectual framework too so that's what i think i mean by turning the work against itself and what we can do and it's like a benefit of a sort of goodwill interpretation and effort of these theories given the possibility and how and what we can work with them in the sense the question is how can we make them work for us too and that's not going to be simple and at times it's not really going to be useful and not going to be productive and i think therein lies the point about what is flexible and what is inflexible for example i think on the other hand a framework like ian watts rise of the novel is a lot more limited and has interpretive issues and analytical issues which I won't get into, but I just doesn't really work for me and I don't really like it. I, I have problems with it. And I, I think that's the, the aspects that like we need to break apart with. It's like, okay, this maybe works on its own field. I don't think it does. But it's like, okay, for that particular object that he, he was studying, that maybe works or the maybe is valid. Maybe, maybe, maybe. But that doesn't work anywhere or anytime else because it's it's a lot more rigid, it's a lot more strict. And again, the, there are the limitations. Something that I've come across this class and reading these various theories and other articles and texts is like, especially in regards to the novel, <laughs> it's really difficult to answer the question, okay, so what is the novel or what constitutes a novel? And it's like, that's not... That, that answer is really going to be difficult and you can limited and restricted i was talking before about the death of the novel of course if you call the novel a very specific thing you can call it dead but how then do you argue with okay a lot of things are being written today and being called novels do you disregard them as novels do you call them nonsense how do you make that movement it's like okay that's just a category of prose or a long-form prose and not necessarily what constitutes the novel. You can do that. It's going to be nonsense, of course. But you can do that. And academia does a lot of that. I mean, that's the point. It's like this notion that modernist realism is the ultimate form. And th that's why the whole things the, what, We had a whole fucking class on the death of the novel. And there was only that very stupid conservative position that, yes, it, it is... Uh, but it, that was particular form. And what about these other common texts and people don't read these other things? Like, let's, let's not waste our time, please. Anyway. <laughs> There's a lot of things that need to change in literary theory. And this aspect of, oh, the death of the novel and what is the ideal subject and what is the novel. It's like, these discussions aren't really productive. And get, getting back to my point, because I've gone sidetracked, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's less productive to try, or less interesting even, to try and define the novel uh, from closing it off 
then like leaving open doors it's like okay the novel can be these things or the novel has been these things or the novel is this thing in in motion or in construction or moving that is that's a lot more interesting in what you're working with because at the end of the day like <laughs> do you call like postmodern novels novels do you call something like the the atrocity exhibition a novel i think i do perhaps it's a very weird kind of novel but it's a novel and it's interesting and it's fun and it's doing something cool but yeah i think it's like but is that a novel i mean i guess i think so but it's like okay how what makes it similar to that other kind of novel uh to something like i don't know um the dispossessed or lord of the rings or ulysses or or alatsaway or the castle of Otranto, and so on and so on. It's like trying to say what the novel is in a closed definition is the way to madness, I believe. Uh, also, or if you, or, or the way to gatekeeping, and uh, yeah, yeah. So, what I think I want to come across in terms of this episode is like there can be something productive when looking at these theories and looking at. Uh, both as a sense of like, okay, this was a particular part on the history of the theory of literature or theories of literature or theories of the novel. But a lot of the time, these readings need to be done more critically. And I think that's something that I really miss from the class itself because, yeah, we, we need to take them on what they're doing and at face value. But like, what are their limitations? What were their limitations at the time? And now, like, okay, this this is useful for this particular interpretation. But, like, outside of that, that's not really interesting or useful. And given that a lot of the class was formed by people who done, d do research in a wide field, from the gothic to science fiction to postmodern fiction to contemporary fiction, well, <laughs> um, a lot of those classes weren't very interesting or useful, from my perspective, maybe it was useful to the other people in these fields. I, 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 I don't know, but they were interesting uh, and good to know, but not really helpful. It's the the what I am taking from this class mostly, other than the well, now I know of this, and now I understand some more of this for my own research, is coming from this actual effort of okay, can these things work together? And the angle that I took for the paper itself was less on a particular theorist and going to the questions that uh, were foundational to the theories and that appear or that are or not common to the novel itself. So, for example, the relationship between the individual and the world or between the subject and the social, how does that occur in a science fiction novel and in The Dispossessed? And how do you compare that with both literary theory and other works that do that? And one of the ways that I took to understanding that was that, like, okay, you need to reconstitute the framework from which you interpret that because the world, inverted commas, that we're handling is not the world that we are familiar with. And even, of course, like, you're talking about a, a fiction, even, like, okay, this is... So, for example, taking... And this is a very classical example. Like, Charles Dickens' London, the London that he portrays... Was, isn't the real London. It's a fictional London uh, under very specific 
aspect and definition and angle and view and moralism and so on. However, it is different than, you know, London and uh, Anars or Urus. So the way you create or reinterpret that comparison between the subject and the social is you need to build that interpretation, that relationship from the ground up again in science fiction. That's the way I found to interpreting that because it's a very different world. Of course, it's it's built upon similar things. Like the writer is a person in our world, so they took references and similarities. But in the terms of like a closed reading of the text, you need to to recreate this relationship in order to interpret it. And in the case of the dispossessed, you need to go further because Shevik isn't the only subject. Both societies of Anars and Urus are subjects and are important objects of understanding and interpreting. For she- under a subjective light, Shevik is trying to interpret both these worlds and societies and the various societies in Urus, but it's not as simple uh, as just like, oh, this is the world as a setting. It's like, Sure, the, the world may be a subject, but it's a different type of subject, and you need to engage it as subject or as a different type of construction, even while looking at this relationship. So these are some of the ways I found of sort of looking at these theories in or, or some of like the questions that moved these theories to take shape in order to do this final paper. It's mostly all been to, to do this final paper. But I'm coming with positive conclusions, and this episode is evidence of that. So, I think what I want to try and wrap up, since I've been going for almost 40 minutes now, is it's really difficult to do this work. Because it's it's frustrating. It, it's tiresome. It's like, why am I going to waste or spend my time with bending or working or flexibilizing these theories that really ignored all that I was doing? And at times, like, yeah, that's that's going to be frustrating. But even then, given the proper text or the proper time or the occasion, they can lead to something positive. It's like, you can find some silver lining, hopefully, <laughs> if you have to. But yeah, it, it's like, and it can be helpful to go out of your own specific genre and field every once in a while to, to help you get some more insights when going back in. All that said, all that said, it doesn't cease to be a big evidence of looking into these theories. It's like, oh, look at the their limitations and look at how flawed they are in ignoring so much of literature or the novel or their own basis of like what they understand as the novel or literature itself. And oh, I don't think I ever mentioned it. I again with being sidetracked, <laughs> the. The thing about the class is like, okay, we looked at these theories, but we look very little into their problems, limitations, flaws, and criticism, because, (laughs) I mean, that's the first thing that I'm going to notice, because, well, they're calling what I'm working on less, less significant, less important, less worth studying, and ultimately, don't really even give it the time of day. So, of course, it's going to piss me off, and the criticism is going to be more significant to me than the theories itself. And, and in that sense, that's why it's taken so much time for me to do anything positive with those theories, uh, even now. And I think 
even in terms of engaging and even teaching those theories perhaps the role of that criticism important in a negative and in a positive sense it's like okay this is where they flawed but also this is where we can take them forward given the proper care and uh, respect everyone uh, given the circumstances so i think that's where where you can find something genuinely positive in terms of creating and, and writing and studying and researching as well and making these things harmonize to to bring the metaphor again which i really liked so and, and how you can have these theories work for you too even when you're working on a such a different field such as science fiction or at least that has been my uh <laughs> my experience with the subject so I think that's kind of where I'm going to wrap it up for now. Um, this has been a very bizarre kind of episode. Hopefully it made sense and hopefully the editing will make it make more sense. I mean, you're listening to a finished version. Uh, something I always forget everyone, I guess. But yeah, hopefully it makes more sense edited than it did at the end of the recording right now. But it was still very fun. And I think it was still with its merits to write, think of and make as an episode and i think it's an, a, a weird but good start to 2022 and it's um to sort of set the ground for what i'm going to talk about next month and because uh oh i'm going to talk about imperialism and i'm going to talk about fiction and i'm going to talk about fantastic literature and i'm going to talk about latin american literature so you have no idea what is coming it's going to be really fun it was one of my favorite reads of 2021 and I can't but talk about it and make it a really fun discussion. And I have some ideas and things I want to do this year too. So, well, 2022 is going to be busy. It's going to be chaotic. And if things go well, I'm going to have a lot to do. The podcast will remain going on strong as best I can. And especially if I can plan some of this stuff out and prepare for the coming months, it's going to be even better. But yeah, I'm just, I'm really looking forward to what's going to happen next. To what I'm going to do to the three years because I have something a little special planned and even for in terms of like the reading corner and the writer's desk it's going to be something good and yeah I hope I hope this was an interesting episode do let me know what you think if you can like on Twitter on Patreon whatever you can wherever you can because some of these episodes doing solo episodes is quite difficult uh, because it's just me <laughs> but it's also fun it's interesting to talk to myself for a while it, it has its moments. It, it's fun. I enjoy doing the podcast no matter which form I take it. So it's all good. It's all being made well. Uh, I'm, so I'm making the best of it always. It's always good line, good silver linings to it, even when it's a bit more difficult. So yeah, uh, do let me know what you think if you can. Um, you can also find us on Twitter at LeftPagePod and myself at Frank Gothic as usual. And if you can follow and support us on Patreon, do check us out at patreon.com forward slash left page, where I do the reading corners, where I talk about something else, be it short story or other fiction that hasn't made it into an episode so far, or be it like theory has been a little bit of the case and it's probably going to come back as I carry on with my master's this year. And, and there's the writer's desk where I talk about writing fiction from the point of view of actually writing it and last month i talked about detective fiction and i'm going to talk this month a bit about Ooh, do i say it sure <laughs> i'm going to talk a bit about 
uh, sort of like reading or writing ma manuals or guides or helpful tips, that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, that's that's going to be fun and exciting. It's going to be, I'm going to be in, in my angry, inflamed mood. <laughs> uh, so look forward to that. That's going to be fun. And yeah, dude, thank you so much for listening, everyone. I hopefully you've enjoyed what, what this episode has been and what I'm doing and what the left page carries on this year into its third year. Wow. So yeah, thank you so much for listening. Thank you for being here. Until the next one.